we come to the second message, Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Uh, let's give our attention to this, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. The lyrics go, when your day is long in the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on. Don't let yourself go because everybody cries. Everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody hurts sometimes. Now, if you know the title of the song, you know who sang that song. You're immediately dating yourself. That's the 1980s by R.E.M. Everybody hurts sometimes. Hmm. That's actually true. It's a reality. It cuts across every demographic, all politics, all race, even the 1%. The 1%, they are not immune from everybody hurts sometimes. And the reality check and paradox that we get here today from the Apostle Paul is that in any and all afflictions, I like those two little words, in any and all, so all kinds, any kind, whatever is causing you discomfort, pain, or suffering, in all of it, Paul says, he has found surpassing comfort. So you could say this is paradox number two. It's the second message. Last week was the paradox of the gospel for Californians. Namely, that God is gracious and good even while we are no good and have done no good. We don't have to move God to be good to us. He acts first and finally with grace. That is the essence of the gospel in Jesus we don't move God, but God moves us because of his grace for us. Now today, it's comfort in affliction, a paradox. I've got three questions for it. First, what is it? Second, whose is it? Third, what are you doing with it? Or where are you at with it? Three questions. What is it? We're going to look at the nature of the comfort of God. Second, whose is it? The source or the origin of this comfort. Third, where are you with it? It's kind of practical in terms of where you're at with your own afflictions and God's comfort. Okay, first, what is it? It's really uh, talking about its nature. Um, as one of your pastors, here's what I found, especially in the last year or so, post-COVID. We think it's post-COVID. I know it's going around again. People, I think like never before, are binging for comfort. What I mean by binging, like they're just desperately looking for some avenues of outlet and comfort giving. 
And I think this is just because of just madness of life. I call it the madness of life. I know some of you parents are just so exhausted and busy. I get to hear more and more and pray for you about what just your work schedule is like. And then before or after work and across all the weekends, you've got all kinds of activities and pickups and drop-offs. I really sincerely appreciate that you join us here for worship of God in the midst of all that kind of madness. I also know there's a growing list of prayers for our staff and our elders. So many people going through like massive pain, injury, loss, a season that they could not anticipate or be prepared for of just this kind of mental and emotional cloud. People are dying for comfort. Now, when you hear Paul talking about comfort, comfort, comfort all the way through, what comes to mind? And I think most of us will think comfort is something very soft and, and cuddly and manageable. It's sentimental. It's like having that nice, real drink or going to the spa or maybe getting finally a good night's sleep. And those are all really, really good. Those are all really gifts from God. But this comfort that is spoken of in this passage is different. It is distinctively enlivening. It's strength-giving. It's emboldening. It actually makes you think and see things more clearly, more brilliantly. You might say, when God gives his comfort to you, it instills and intensifies faith, hope, and love. It's, in other words, not a sedative. It's not a sedative. It's not like in a boxing match when you're sitting on the stool in between rounds and you've been so bruised and battered and staggered and you're weary and you may think about quitting. When the comfort of God comes, it's not throwing in the towel, but it's like smelling salts. It's not a sedative. It's something that awakens you. Here's what the commentator David Garland describes it as. David Garland the comfort of God. It's not some tranquilizing dose that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the trouble of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Huh. You know, for the apostle Paul, was there anyone more wounded Someone who was more staggering than him. Someone who was more hurt or scared. He had sufferings upon sufferings. And at one point, we heard from last week, he thought he was completely done. He was finished. He thought the end had come. Again, a man with the highest pain tolerance isn't just whining, but he is saying, there was a period in Asia where I thought my life had come to an end, and I was certain of it. But from a man like that, in this particular letter, he reveals so much more of his honest, complex, human heart. He reveals his fears. He reveals and talks about his hurts. He talks about how much it's hard for him. But for some reason, in any and all afflictions for Apostle Paul, they did not break him. They beautified him. In any and all afflictions for Apostle Paul, they did not finish or destroy him, but developed him. How so? How so? Every single time Apostle Paul talks about his pain or affliction, 
he mentions the comfort of God. Every verse he talks about your pain or affliction, he ministers and speaks forth the surpassing comfort of God. Two to three weeks ago, a friend of mine, one of my former groomsmen from the state of Maine all the way across the United States, over dinner was sharing about a conversation he had with his wife just recently. How he turned to his wife and said, honey, I'm not happy. And I don't think I'll ever be happy again. And his wife agreed. Because they've been caring for their son over 10 years who has been suffering from increasing grand mal seizures. It's not gotten better. Maybe it's gotten worse. And they've been trying everything. You know, for all the parents out there, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child, for sure. And as he was sharing this, I don't think I'll ever be happy again. He goes on to say, but I never knew this joy. I couldn't eat anymore over dinner because I was so blessed by what he was sharing. I never knew this kind of joy. What was he telling me? You could have joy while you're unhappy. What is Paul trying to tell us this morning? You can have the comfort of God in and all afflictions. And it'll give you life and it'll give you strength. If you're anything like me, you say this morning, oh, pastor, it's good. You tell a story about your friend. Great for the apostle Paul. But you know what? I'm the kind of person I could do without the pain. Let me just skip that part. Like really, I mean, I'm coming to church today so that I can kind of avoid and prevent, kind of get God to cover me so that I don't have to go through maybe the kind of afflictions that I keep finding over and over and over again in the Bible. Let me skip the affliction and then I don't have to experience the comfort like other people have to. Now, if you think that, tempted to think that like me so often, you're missing the whole point of this passage. And I dare say you're missing the whole point of Christianity. Let me say that again. If you think and want to just avoid and skip all the pain so that therefore you don't have to experience all the comfort of God in it, you might be missing the point of why Jesus even came. Because here's what it says in verse 5, okay? Chapter 1, verse 5. I know something's going on with this a little bit. Sorry today. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Look at that verse again and again and again and again, my friends. That verse is announcing this. It's not about what you get. It's not about what you can get. It's about who you get and who you become in and any affliction. The point of Christianity is not about what you can get out of it. It's who you get and who you become in and any all afflictions. Here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. If my Christ, my Lord suffered, his sufferings become mine, mine become his, and so do his comforts. We have to define what is the comfort of God. What is that? What is that? Oh, it's a comfort that Jesus himself has 
that Jesus himself experienced. Here's a commentator. I read it in some book. I don't know who wrote it. I can't find it. It's anonymous here, but trust me, I got it from some book, and it's important enough to share. Here's what that commentator observed. The Son of God suffered unto death. Not that men, not that we may not suffer, but their sufferings might be like his. I might be able to unpack just that in verse 5 as maybe a summary of all of the Christian life. Okay? Here's, I think, what this means. And here's what Apostle Paul means in verse 5. If any affliction or suffering you could go through makes you better see and sense what Jesus suffered to love, to love you. If any kind of hardship or distress, breaking of your heart or loss or disappointment, if any suffering you could ever go through in all of life makes you better relate to, participate in, it may even shape you into Jesus in how he loves and saves you, then in that affliction, there is supernatural comfort. Because my friends, the point of what God is trying to do in your life and my life is not the avoidance of all suffering and pain and affliction, but it's about who you get and who you become. There's the comfort of God. Number two question. Second question, whose is it now? Talking about comfort, whose is it? Okay, it's origin or source. Look at verses three and four of chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. There it is. Whose is it? Like who has it? Who's the one that, you might say it's, Part of his nature, his being, it's the God of all comfort. Question, is that God of all comfort personal to you? What I'm asking you, my friends, this morning is I'm not asking you something theoretical. I'm not asking you something academic. I'm not asking you something just informational. I know you're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth, but I'm asking you, what Paul is talking about, and the question I'm asking you right now, is it experiential to you? Do you personally feel it? Are you personally used to it? Is it an actual experience in your life? I remember a swing dance class <clears throat> a couple of decades ago. I, I don't know why I took it. And uh, the teacher was looking at me, trying my best. But he said, Harold, you got to stop thinking about your next move and just dance. <laughs> Harold, I could tell on your face, your posture, your body movements. Obviously, you're stiff, you're mechanical, you're really, actually, she was basically saying you're really bad, right? You're not dancing, you're just thinking about what the next dance move is. And of course, that's what happens, right? In any discipline or anything you want to try in life. At first stage, when you're kind of not used to something, you just got to think. You just got to think. You like overanalyze. You're like self-conscious about it. Like you're just trying to get used to it. You're just trying to make it right. You're just trying to get it right. It's the first time at that job or first time in that role. 
But do you know what it takes to move from thinking about it to a dance? Do you know what it takes from having disciplines and instructions and coaching and classes of this is how you get it right to enjoying it and all the delights? You know what I want to ask you, my friends, is has your disciplines or has your theology or your knowing of God ever moved into delights? Has your disciplines turned into delights? And it takes quite a lot. It really does. It takes a lot of time and energy. It takes a lot of thinking. It takes a lot of practice and definitely takes a lot of prayer. But my point here is this, is if God personally doesn't comfort you, listen, if the God of all comforts does not personally touch and comfort you, do you know no one else really will? No one else really can. If the God of all comforts, he's the source. You see, he's the source, not your spouse, not the counselor, not your small group leader, not even your pastor, not ultimately, no, 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 no. Not your kid, not your job. If the God of all comforts, you don't experience the dance with him. You don't feel the comfort of God in you then you're going to continue to bleed out. You're going to inflict pain on yourself and a lot of other people. The only way I can understand the Apostle Paul, I mean, it's really mind-blowing because the Corinthian church presented the most pain and the most problems to him. Yet at no point in this entire letter will you ever find Apostle Paul taking it personally and reacting personally to them. How is that possible? This church personally maligned him, personally accused him, personally attacked him, personally hated on him, personally was trying to create a mutiny against him. But how in response does Apostle Paul not take it personally or respond personally to them? The only answer I can find, my friends, is that because Paul was comforted by the God of all comforts. Is God personal to you? Do you feel God? Is there a dance to it? Is there something that he gives you that the world just really cannot ever give as we sang? Now, of course, if you think about God being personal to you, can I ask you, is that God comforting to you at all in any way? been thinking, talking about feeling and dancing here, but let's just go back to the thinking part. The thinking comes before feeling. For some of you, actually maybe too many of you, when you go through hardship or suffering or affliction, you automatically start to think, God must not like me. God is punishing me. God is getting back at me. But can I tell you again to reconsider that kind of thinking? You are denying who God is and what he did at the cross in his son of Jesus Christ. If you actually think that God could come back after you for something you've done. If Jesus Christ, his own son, was sent by the same God to take all the punishment and all the pain. 
Another line of thinking, and I hear this quite often. You might even hear it in, from among your church friends or even in a small group. You know, I know God will <clears throat> never give me something more than I can handle. God is, you know, he's so good to me that he'll never put me in a situation where it stretches me or just overwhelms me or is beyond all my capacities. God will only give me stuff that I can handle. And again, can I question your thinking on that? Where do you get that? Where do you get that? Where, where in the scriptures do you find that? Because in the very same chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Apostle Paul tells you the exact opposite thing happened to him. He said, there was a time in Asia where something was so overwhelming, it was way beyond what I could handle. I thought I was going to die. I was going to give up. I thought my life had come to an end. But why then does God give you something more than you could ever handle? Why would God ever give you something that's more overwhelming, much more confounding than any human person could ever figure out? Why? So that you and I would learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. That you and I would learn to rely on God and never in ourselves. Because when you rely on God... That God is the God of all comforts, all comforts. Listen, God doesn't like hand out comfort like candy. It's not like prizes or gifts. It's not like a gift card, huh? He doesn't just like throw them out there. You need comfort here, let me give you one. You need comfort over there, let me just give you that. He doesn't do that. That's not the way Paul describes it. I know the standard messaging that we've all kind of used to or maybe even bought into, something, it, it goes like this. When you're having a really, really rough time, it's one of two messages. It'll tell you, take it easy. Take it easy. Take care of yourself. Self-care. Love and accept yourself. Forgive yourself. That's a pretty good message, is it not? But did you know the Bible never talks to you like that? The Bible never tells you, take it easy and just love and forgive yourself and just leave you alone. No, the Bible would never say that to you without this one little key phrase, which we read in verse 5, in him. In him. On the other end of the spectrum, a very popular message, be strong. The tough get tougher. Be courageous. Prove how resilient you are. You can come back from everything. But again, the Bible would never talk to you like that. Did you know that the Bible never says, if you want power, God will just give you power? No, 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 no. The Bible always says you are empowered in him. In other words, the Bible never really tells you, you should go and find everything you need in yourself. The Bible never points you back to yourself. The Bible never motivates and talks to you back to, you can do it yourself. Everything about Apostle Paul's theology and actual experience is just unlocked in this one little phase. One little phrase, in him. In him. If you want power, God doesn't just give you power. You are empowered in him. If you want comfort and you want to be comforted, you are comforted only in him. In other words, God unites you to Jesus so much so that any comfort, any wisdom, any power, any strength, any forgiveness, any life, 
anything good that could come about from your Christian life, do you not know by now, my friends? All of it, all of it is wrapped up and contained in him. And insofar as you and I learn to dance, (laughs) believe, belong, listen to, worship, love, trust, pray to, follow Jesus only in him, only in him, there are surpassing comforts in any and all afflictions. What is it? We answered. Whose is it? Whose is it? The God of all comfort. Last one. Much more practical. I'm going to ask the question, where are you with it? Where are you with it? What I mean by that is this. We'll take a little inventory. Where are you with your afflictions and pains and God's comfort? And then maybe even other people's afflictions and pains. What I find masterful about the Apostle Paul is that he was personally comforted by God. There is no other accounting as to how he got through life and was able to comfort others who caused him pain other than he was personally comforted by God in his, in his own afflictions. But when Paul comforted other people in pain, he was so wise about it. He was, uh, what you might say, clever with it. He was individualistic. He customized it. He never just gave it a cookie cutter. Here's one example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Apostle Paul calls this church to excommunicate someone. That is a harsh, harsh word. To excommunicate means to exclude, cut off, don't talk to, do not associate with someone who was caught in shocking sin. Such sin that was intolerable for their pagan neighbors. The main reason why Paul was calling for excommunication of this person was that that person was not acknowledging or repentant of his or her own own sin. So when someone is unrepentant, like they say something like, it's not sinful, it's not a problem at all. I will continue to do this full and fledged law, headlong for the rest of my life. I will not even try to battle against it. In that case alone, Paul says, oh church, oh church, you must uphold holiness and you must excommunicate such a person now in second corinthians chapter one and two paul now is dealing with a different kind of problem there is an opposition leader who arose who publicly swayed the minority crowd to start attacking and questioning everything about paul remember from last week they questioned and attacked his calling his integrity his effectiveness his style even his authenticity That one public leader who swayed the minority crowd now is being railed on and punished by the majority crowd who hate him for having hurt and opposed the Apostle Paul. But here's what's remarkable about Apostle Paul. We're going to read here starting in verse 6 of chapter 2. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. He's talking about his personal opposition leader. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Ah, the same apostle Paul who asked for excommunication in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turns around to someone who actually was much more personally opposed to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But because this person evidently was repentant. 
truly sorrowful. This person evidently knew he had done so much harm and wrong and wanted to change. Paul now says, stop punishing him. Stop being so harsh. Forgive him. Love him. Love him because I love and forgive him. Paul customized or personalized his comforts for people who are going through afflictions and pain. All right. You know, today, I've got a Venn diagram for you. Next slide. These three circles, God's comfort, my affliction, others' confliction. I've got to give credit where credit is due. This is from my none other than my brother-in-law, Pastor Paul Kim down at San Diego Redeemer. I saw this in one of his messages, just this template. And I called him this week. I said, Paul, where did you get this? What commentator, what book did you get it? He goes, oh, I drew it myself. I said, that's amazing. Thank you. You must be inspired by God. This is perfect. Okay? So here's, I'm going to use this template from here on. The rest is mine. I'm going to take all the credit. But here we're going to give credit to Apostle, uh, to, Apostle to Pastor, Pastor Paul, uh, in, this, in this sense. And here is, in this Venn diagram, if you see it way down in the red, my affliction, let's say you are just down there in the red. My affliction. No comfort. Doesn't mix with anyone else's affliction. I'm just going to call that misery. Right? Is there maybe other words you can use, but pretty miserable when you're going through affliction and there's no comfort to be found. Next slide. But now let's say in your affliction, you do receive and you experience the very comfort of God. That is an enormous blessing. But I'm going to call it therapeutic. Now, when I say therapeutic, please don't misunderstand that I am demonizing or downplaying therapy. It is great to be comforted and to feel better. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Part of what God wants to do in all of our lives. Therapy is you feel better. And how do you ultimately really feel better? It's because God of all comfort comforts you. However, if you just stop here, it is just therapeutic and it's actually very limiting. It's limiting to what God wants to do in your life. Next slide. Now we get to your affliction and other people's affliction. Now I would describe this as you have pain and you are the first to want to be involved with and help heal other people's pain. You're the type of person who is first in line for service or volunteering. You're the first to drop off, the first to call, the first to text. You're always the first in line or maybe the last in line when needs are specific and practical. You are an incredible person who wants to help when other people are going through affliction and pain. But notice in that convergence there, just between my affliction and others' affliction, notice what's missing. You do not have the comfort of God. So it's just a plainly horizontal thing where you want to help other human beings. And I would suggest to you that without the comfort of God, this will inevitably lead to burnout, massive anger, bitterness, and resentment. When you, in your affliction, want to help other people in their affliction, but you take out the comfort of God, this was what happens with parents when they say, how come my kids never, never thank me? 
Why don't my kids understand how much I'm doing for them? Why don't they ever appreciate me? Or this is when you say, how come no one else volunteers like me? Why am I the only one to show up? And I'm the only one who always shows up to take care of this need for this community or even this church. You know, in our world today, there are a lot of victim advocates. That is a wonderful thing to advocate for vulnerable, defenseless victims. But if you are a victim advocate without the comfort of God, inadvertently, you might create more victims. Because if you try to save the whole world and become a hero without comfort of God for you, it actually turns into a crusade. Here's what Kathy Lorzell once observed, along with Dan Allender in a book entitled Redeeming Heartache. Pay attention to this with me. A priest, a priest is a person who just likes to help other people. Wonderful. A priest will likely give all she has to help others with little regard for her own needs, and others will inadvertently reward her for being the one who needs the least and is needed the most. A priest's tendency is to give until there's nothing left and they get angry at those who have taken from her. A priest needs to be careful of this propensity to dismiss her own needs and feel powerful because she has the capacity to tend to others without being tended to herself. Such a pattern often leads to martyrdom, burnout, or contempt. Martyrdom, burnout, or contempt. That's just at the convergence of my affliction and other people's affliction. Next one. Next slide. If you only hear stories of grace, you come around people in your small group, or you come around these Christian people who go to church, and they talk about, you would not believe how God saved me and comforted me when I went through that enormous trial in my life. You are only aware of God's comfort on other people. You're aware of how God works in other people's lives when they're going through affliction. I would call this inspirational, but impersonal. Inspirational, but impersonal. Oh, but last but not least, what would be at the convergence of God's comfort, my affliction, and other people's affliction? What would be right there in the middle? This is where you would meet and find Jesus Christ at the cross. Because when Jesus suffered and died at the cross, here was a human being who was fully full of and comforted by his Father God. Going through his own affliction and massive pain, and yet pronouncing, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the middle of all three is the cross. Believe me when I say I've been at the trifecta of all the other dysfunctional, unhealthy zones outside of that. But back to Apostle Paul here in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what he closes with in our passage today. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, in our comfort. Paul had an unshaken hope. He says, I know I've been going through all kinds of afflictions. I know that you are going through all kinds of afflictions. But he says, there's an unshaken hope and certainty that comfort will prevail and dominate in the end. 
And how is it that Paul talks like that? Why does Paul believe that? Why does Paul dance to that? It's because he is united to someone who suffered and was crucified, but was raised on the third day. And if his sufferings are yours, so too are his comforts. When you suffer, if that is meant to make you more like the one who suffered for you, there is the comfort of God in it and in any of it that you can ever go through. So where are you at? I asked myself this morning as well. Where are you at with your afflictions, God's comfort, and others' afflictions? And let me encourage you, my friends. Only there in the middle, at the cross of Jesus Christ, do we find life and surpassing comfort no matter what we can go through. And you know, at this church, the best ways you can do this, the best way you can do that is to be in ministry. That means to be giving and serving other people in prayers and in practical helps. And of course, signing up for a small group tonight at 5 p.m. That is the best way here at CCSE in which we can find ourselves a little more like Apostle Paul, a little more like Jesus, right there at the cross, so that as God's comfort comforts me, as God's comfort comforts you, we would comfort others who are going through any and all afflictions. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the riches, the wisdom, the practicality of your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us more of where we're at, who we are, how we are doing, and then most of all, bring us to your son. Bring us to him who comforts perfectly, compassionately, individually, in ways that would give more life, more boldness, more ministry, as you have poured out your life for us. Hear us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>